Good evening and welcome uh, to everyone who's worshiping with us in person or online for our Good Friday service. I want to just give a brief shout out to all those who've gone before me, all the ministry leaders, the praise team members, the pastors. Thank you for leading me in worship and reminding me of how significant and how powerful this service and this day is. Uh, On behalf of our church leadership, our pastors and our ministry staff, we are so glad and grateful to see you here tonight and have many of you join us online. Uh, Last year's Good Friday service, as Pastor uh, Huey mentioned in the call to worship, uh, it was at the very beginning of the pandemic, so literally there was no more than 12 people in the building. I remember that Good Friday well, um, and uh, so it's so good. It's, it's, it's warming to my heart. It's, it's moving to me to see faces, even though it's behind masks, um, uh, here in this sanctuary, and I'm sure we'll hear more from others who joined us online. My hope is this, that through our Good Friday service, as well as the sermon I'm going to share with you, that you will hear, you'll experience, you'll be engaged by the greatest news in history of a God who created you, who knows you, who loves you. He sent his son to die and to be raised so that you and I would know him and make him known. Amen. This evening, I'll be speaking from a passage that Director Heidi just alluded to in the wonderful children's Bible lesson that highlights Christ's final words before he he gives up his life. And as we look at these words, I hope that it will be an invitation for us to experience God-given comfort, God-given hope, courage, and strength in the midst of whatever season, whatever struggle, and whatever circumstance you are facing right now. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would hear the word of God as I, as I read it aloud from Luke chapter 23, it's just six verses, 44 through 49, but let me read aloud to you God's word. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of God. Friends, would you bow with me as I pray, as we've already been praying already. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us to this point, this week, this hour, to hear from a living and a loving God. 
And that's what I pray would happen tonight as a result of this word being preached, that your people would hear, they would taste and see the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight for your glory and for the the good of your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Over the past year, ever since the pandemic turned all of our lives inside out and upside down, there are two words, there are many, many words, but there are two words that I've heard used often that I believe best captures how many have been impacted and have been feeling lately and most likely longer than they can remember. Here are the two words. And again, there's so many words we can choose from, but I I just distilled them to two. Loss and exhaustion. Does that resonate with anyone in this room or watching this message? Does loss resonate with you? Are you exhausted? Personally, I've experienced loss through the death of close relatives an aunt and uncle who just died just a matter of weeks apart from one another. I, I've experienced the loss of a disconnection of one of my closest and best friends who for over a year I've not yet been able to get in touch with him. There's been a cancellation and a disruption of milestones and celebrations like birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, graduations, trips and vacations many of us have been longing and planning for for years if not longer. There's been a loss of a sense of closeness and connection within our church family at Christ Central. And then there's even sharing in the loss, the indescribable loss, trauma, and suffering of family and close friends over the past few months and the year. Moreover, I've also heard the word exhausted and exhaustion used more often, I think, in the last three months than maybe the previous 12 months. Often the exhaustion is a direct result of the effects and the impact of COVID. But I would propose to you, it's, it's also compounded by a combination of pre-existing personal and heart, hardships and struggles that were already there before COVID, whether it's financial, medical, relational, mental, or spiritual, and tragic events that have occurred across our country over the last year, especially as it relates to racism, violence against women and the elderly, mass murder, and grave and gross injustices against the most vulnerable, the defenseless, and the marginalized of our society. Just me describing, and listen, that aren't you exhausted? I know I am. I know many of you are as well. Loss and exhausted. If one or both of these words describes where you have been and maybe how you are feeling tonight, how then does the good news of the gospel and the finished work of Christ inform, govern, and guide us as the people of God? If that's where you are, that's what you're feeling, what difference does Good Friday And how does Christ's incomparable loss, Christ's uh, exhaustion from suffering on the cross, how does his loss, how does his exhaustion offer us comfort and hope today? Here it is. And I'll get to my outline in just a moment. How? By placing our trust 
in the Father who placed his Son on the cross for us. So here's my outline for tonight's message. Two points, not three. <laughs> we'll keep it short and sweet. We've got so much more to celebrate. Here's, the, my, here's my main idea. God is worthy. He is worthy of our trust even in the midst of darkness and brokenness. And Christ's final moments from these verses reveals two truths about the Father. Number one, and I'll walk through these two truths. Number one, God's heart was broken so that you and I could be rescued and restored. And secondly, God the Father, his hands are safe and secure, strong and secure to entrust any circumstance that you and I are facing tonight. Let's begin with the first truth about God that is revealed in this passage. Number one is this. His heart was broken so that we could be rescued and restored. Please notice that there's two supernatural events revealed in in this text that testifies to God's heart of both justice and grace as a result of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. We see justice because God is a holy, righteous, and just God. There had to be an unparalleled penalty and an unprecedented punishment for the sins of humans, for humankind. And who would pay that penalty? Who would pay that punishment? His only beloved son offered as our substitutionary sacrifice. And as a result, as we see in verses 44 and 45, God's heart breaks and mourns, as is evidenced by an extended period of darkness throughout Israel. It says in verse 44 and 45, now it was about the sixth hour, which is noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., when the sun's light failed. Brothers and sisters, God lamented. If, 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 if there was a way of kind of picturing God crying, it's darkness. It's mourning over the justice that sin deserves. But it was for, upon his innocent son. How much more his heart grieved, mourned, and was broken. And during that period of darkness, it's the only time recorded in the Gospels when Jesus publicly refers to the Father, not as Father, but as God. Actually, in Matthew's account of the crucifixion, it says this in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time recorded in Scripture, in, in, the, in the Gospels, where Jesus does not refer to him in the eternal relationship he always had as Father. Why? Because God forsake, forsook him for you and for me. So it broke God's heart. Why? Why? It's not senseless. It's so that you and I can be rescued and restored, rescued from our sin and restored into the likeness of the one we're made in the image of. 
And we see God's grace is revealed when the temple curtain veil is torn. It's the, the, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies in the temple. It is supernaturally torn. Look with me in verse 45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's not like the curtain in our homes. They said the curtain was about four inches thick. About 30 feet high. And this tearing of the curtain symbolizes a personal, direct, and unlimited access that we, by Christ's blood and sacrifice, have directly to the Father. And I believe this, and I have not read any commentators who've, who said this. This is just Sam's commentary. I believe that veil not just symbolized access to the Father that had never been given before after the fall. But I believe, brothers and sisters, that veil represented God's heart. For you and I had to have a a relationship and call God Father. Something had to be torn. Jesus died on that cross and as he bore all of our guilt, shame, and penalty for our sin, the veil was torn which I believe symbolizes God's heart. As he received and accepted his son's finished work on the cross. And notably, it says this, not in Luke, but in Matthew 27, Mark 15, that the curtain is torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Why? Because it symbolizes and signifies that this was a supernatural, direct act of God. God's heart was broken on that Good Friday. Not senselessly, but purposely. So that those who are made in his image can grow in his likeness. So that we could be rescued. So that we we could be restored. God himself offers us the free and gracious gift of salvation and adoption as Director Susan prayed. Not by any human effort, not by any human merit, performance of righteousness or acts of obedience, but all because of Christ's effort, because of Christ's merits, because of Christ's performance and Christ's perfect and righteous obedience to the Father on the cross. I love this quote by Paul Tripp which connects kind of the the implications of the cross to our lives, the rescue and the restoration. It says this, But God did not leave us in this sorry, helpless, and hopeless state. He sent his son to do what we could not do, to die as we should have died, and to rise again, defeating sin and death. We can stand before a perfectly holy God, broken, weak, and failing, and be completely unafraid because we stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love how he ends this quote. You no longer have to hope and pray that someday you will measure up because Jesus has measured up on your behalf. If there's there's any good news, among, just again, the implications, eternal implications, the spiritual implications, you don't have to measure up anymore. You don't have to prove or impress anyone because Christ already measured up 
on your behalf. Amen? That's what it means when we sing. We're free. Free. Forever. We're free. May we humbly be reminded and thoroughly convinced that God truly understands and personally empathizes with loss because he experienced the greatest loss imaginable so that you and I might be rescued, redeemed, restored, and reconciled to him as sons and daughters of God. Amen? Friends, I invite you and encourage you to honestly express surrender and offer your hurts, your wounds, your pains, your distress, your fears, and your anxieties, and your losses to God who, remember who you're giving it to, according to Romans 8, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. Loss, exhaustion. God knows. He sent his son to go through it so that we might become his. Never without hope. Never without uh, wondering if we're wanted, known, and loved. God is worthy of our trust, even in the midst of darkness and brokenness. And the first truth that we learned about God through Christ's final utterances and his final moments on the cross is his, God's heart was broken so that your, you and I could be rescued and restored. And secondly, two points I promised. The second truth is this, that we learn about God through this passage that his hands are strong and secure to entrust any circumstance. Although the father forsook and abandoned Jesus on the cross, it's truly remarkable, notable, and powerful how Jesus was both sincere about that struggle while remaining steadfast in trusting his father to the end. That's what I love about the cross. There's, there's that sincerity of the struggle and yet the steadfastness of trust. We see this even in the prayers. Jesus utters three prayers on the cross. The first prayer that we read about is earlier in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He prays to the Father. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But then I just quoted earlier from Matthew, the second prayer that Jesus utters as he's hanging in the darkest hours on that cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He calls, starts with Father. He says, my God. And then in this text, the third and final prayer, Jesus prays to the Father. In a loud voice, it says in verse 46, calling out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. By committing his spirit into the Father's strong and secure hands, Jesus was actually quoting an Old Testament passage. Dr. Peter Lee, who is teaching our Psalms class, he would love this reference. Jesus, his last words was scripture. 
He's quoting from Psalm 31, which was a common Jewish prayer for Jewish children before they go to sleep. And here's why. In Psalm 31, verse 5, Jesus is word for word quoting the psalm, Psalm 31, 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. Now why is Jesus quoting from this particular psalm at this particular moment as his last words before dying? Because this is why, church. Friends, don't miss this. Because he knew that the remainder of the psalm Jesus, uh, David, the author of the psalm, is expressing confidence in God's ability, authority, and power to deliver and rescue him from his enemies. That's why in Psalm 31, the second half of verse 5, it says, You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. Oh, Lord, faithful God. See, you see, Christ was able to entrust himself to the Father in the darkest, loneliest, and hardest moment of his earthly life because he knew that death was not the end. Church, death was not the end. But he was certain of his resurrection. Jesus was always anticipating, preparing for, and tying his death with his resurrection. Jesus was always focused on the cross and that empty tomb. How do we know that? He repeatedly he prophesies in Luke 22, uh, verse 9, earlier in the gospel. It says this, the son of man, Jesus is talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and... On the third day, be raised. Luke 18, he says this. He's taking the 12. It says in verse 31, he says to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Wow. Jesus knew amazing with such clarity and precision exactly how he would suffer but he was able to see beyond it because that's not the end of his story in the end of that passage she says they will kill him they will flog him and the third day he will rise that's why he could trust because he knew this was not the end. You see, church, our circumstances are not the conclusion, but merely the context for God to be known, revealed, trusted, and glorified. Let me say that again. Our circumstances that you're facing, that I'm facing, that many of us have faced and will face, they're not the conclusion. They're not the final statement, but they're the context for God to be known, revealed, trusted and ultimately glorified. Therefore, Jesus was able to die with a cry of faith. Christ's central family, friends, brothers and sisters, God's hands are strong and secure for any and all circumstances, seasons, and struggles that we are currently facing and will face in our lives because our circumstances challenging seasons, and even the crushing burdens and struggles are not the end of our story.
but rather resurrection, the renewal of all things, and eternal glory. Scott Sauls, one of our favorite authors in our church, he says this, and I remember hearing him speak this at a conference a number of years ago, and he's written, repeatedly written this. This is his quote. If your hope is in Jesus, your long-term, worst-case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life. Amen. If your hope is in Jesus, your long-term, your worst-case scenario is glory. Is as Director Sujin prayed, a place of no more tear, suffering, death, shame, injustice. That's our worst case scenario. May we embrace and rest in the one who died in the Father's hands. And as I close, because we have communion and we have songs to sing, we have Easter to get ready for. I have to close with a couple of questions. Number one is this. How will you respond to Christ even if your circumstances don't change in the days, weeks, or months ahead? Will you be like the the others in in this narrative? Will you just watch Christ only from a distance that we see in verse 49 and his acquaintances referring to his disciples and the women who had followed him from Galilee who, and I wish I had more time, These women from Galilee, they're powerful women from Galilee. We'll see that more later in the narrative. Stood at a distance, though, watching these things. Are we just going to watch Christ from a distance? Maybe because we're feeling overwhelming despair, disappointment, and disillusionment. Wondering if it's worth following him any longer. I say, trust him. Trust in what he's done and trust in the one that Jesus trusted. Or maybe instead of watching just from a distance, you'll actually walk away or you have been walking away. As we read about in verse 48, and all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, they just saw what had happened. They returned home beating their breasts. They were convicted. They were mournful. They maybe were even repentant. They might have been the same crowds that called out for his crucifixion. We don't know. But they just walked away unchanged. Friends. You are loved too much. You are desired too greatly by God. Too much of a, too high a price was paid for your redemption, rescue, and restoration for us to simply walk away. Or thirdly, it's to worship him for who he is and what he's done. Now, we don't know if the centurion became a believer. We don't know. But he does make an incredible statement. It says in verse 47, he praised God, the text says, and, and he even declares Christ's innocence, or which can also be translated righteousness. And, and in other gospel accounts, he refers to him as the son of God as he declares while this man was innocent. And I just want to pause here before I get to my last question. Everybody called him innocent. Pilate, Herod, even the thief on the cross, even the centurion who was the supervisor of his crucifixion called him innocent. Jesus was innocent. He was righteous. And here's the good news. When we place our faith in him, God sees us as righteous and innocent in Christ. Amen? Wow.
That's the gospel. And lastly, as I close, and this is where I hopefully can be very practical here. Maybe you can apply this even as we transition into a time of communion. What or who would you like to commit into the Father's safe and secure hands? In other words, the prayer that Jesus uttered, his final words before he gave up his spirit. Father, into your hands, I commit my fill-in-the-blank. What or who would you like to commit into the Father's strong and secure hands tonight? May I offer a couple suggestions? Maybe it's a discouraging outlook on your future. Maybe it's relationally, financially, professionally. It just seems bleak and dim. Maybe you can offer that into your father's hands. Maybe it's the past wounds or personal failures that often paralyze and isolate you into bitterness, anger, guilt, and shame. Maybe that's what we could offer into the Father's safe and secure hands. Maybe it's a lifeless or struggling faith, to be very honest, and really not knowing where to go here with your relationship with God. Would you offer even your lifeless and weak faith to God? Maybe it's the salvation of loved ones, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, those you have been praying for for decades. Keep committing them. Maybe it's a hurting, a broken, or an emotionally distant marriage. Could I invite you tonight to give it to the only one who can heal, repair, and restore? If he can restore and repair humankind to himself, God also can and has repaired a marriage like that too. Would you commit that into your father's hands? couple more. Maybe it's a dysfunctional or toxic relationship with your parents, your siblings, maybe your children. Would you give that into the Father's hands? And lastly, maybe it's a lifelong, persistent fear of being unseen, unwanted, and unloved. I hope and pray that Good Friday reminds you of the opposite. But if that's your struggle, would you commit that into the Father's hands? You see, God is worthy of our trust, even in the midst of darkness and brokenness. His heart was broken so that you and I could be rescued and restored. And his hands, brothers and sisters, friends, are strong and secure to entrust any circumstance. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you so much that Jesus gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him (laughs) because he knew who he was giving it to. The, The same God, the Father, that it's always been in your hands. So Father, as we come to the table in just a moment, as we remember the nail scarred hands, may that point us to the safe and secure hands of God the Father who let his son go to endure unthinkable pain, punishment, and suffering so that those who are made in his image could grow in his likeness as sons and daughters of the living God. 
So wherever we are, individually or corporately, but especially individually, oh God, you're a God who knows even down to the numbers of hairs on our head. I pray tonight someone or someones would sense how near you are to them, how much they're loved by you, and who they are because they belong to you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us and continuing to love us through your presence, your grace, and the good news of who you are and who we are because of you and the difference that should make in our lives in the here and now. We pray all this in Jesus' name.